Welcome to uh, 1022 again. Uh, this is Ben. And Will. And we are back here talking about the big issues you care about, <laughs> listeners at home. Um, the first issue I wanted to bring up, Will, is, you know, previous years when we've done this, we've always, always had this debate. And actually, one of the reasons we designed the class this way this year, where we have a little bit of Hinduism, a little bit of Buddhism, and then comparison, is that you always say, we're kind of misleading students by portraying these things as totally separate traditions and that really there's maybe even an argument to be made, a stronger argument, that Buddhism is like a is closer to Hinduism than it is to a separate religion. Yeah, I think the specific idea that I'm, I, I want to avoid is the idea that by because we do Hinduism first on the paper – that Hinduism comes first and Hinduism is done and dusted and then Buddhism comes along after Hinduism. And my point is more that at the point that Buddhism emerges, uh, and it came up in the lecture today with a, the picture of Shiva in the middle of, you know, at, at the Buddha's birth. Mm. Um, now, at the time that we think the Buddha was born, Shiva was not a major deity, mm. right? Uh, so... And that, as you said, is a popular modern print, and it's it's showing that the gods of mm. whom she, among whom Shiva is really important, showed up at the Buddhas, and that is in the text. But the gods who show up are not the gods of later classical yeah, Hinduism, yeah. but the gods of the Vedas. So I think that's that's what I'm trying to counter. But I do think there is a a, a reason for saying that, uh, yeah, Buddhism emerges as one of a number of Shramana movements mm -hmm. uh, around the same time. Uh, but there are reasons for thinking that it's different from those Shramana movements that go on with basically the path of knowledge, mm -hmm. um, the, the ascetics that, who become absorbed into Hinduism, um, whereas Buddhism does not. Mm. Um, and I think the key uh, dividing line there is in uh, the acceptance of the Vedas as authoritative. Mm -hmm. So the... The Nastikas, the nasty ones, the mm -hmm. ones who say no to the Vedas, that's literally what it means, no, not the, one, the ones who do not affirm um, and implied is the Vedas, the primary category of, a, of people in that um, category are Buddhists. So mm. I do think there's a good reason for regarding this as a separate religion rather than as one that uh, another one of the movements within Hinduism, we've talked about Hinduism having these many movements, um, yeah, my only feeling, point is that these these are really sibling religions. They grow up alongside each other, mm -hmm. um, and I prefer the way we're presenting them now. Um, but I don't know whether that's more or less confusing. I mean, there, uh, there are Vaishnava traditions that see the Buddha as one of the avatars, right? I mean, I've seen those depictions. Uh, there are. Um, I mean, I think that's another wrinkle and complication. Mm. Uh, I mean, one of the things that uh, students may have noticed in some of those maps of the Buddhist world that you show them is that India was coloured white uh, in most of those maps. So mm. the, the one on Theravada and Mahayana had, I think, a lighter orange mm -hmm. for the Mahayana regions, a darker orange uh, for the Theravada countries, mm. mostly Southeast Asia. But India wasn't coloured, and mm. uh, that's because Buddhism has been all but absent in India um, mm. for, what, 900 years, mm. uh, more or less? Mm. Uh, and one of the reasons for that is that, I mean, I would argue there are multiple reasons for that, but one of them is that some Hindu movements did reabsorb Buddhist ideas um, and the ones that the Vaishnava movements that depict the Buddha well there are different stories of that I think we shouldn't go into that it's probably too far afield okay. uh, but certainly there were whatever need that Buddhism was meeting in the sort of religious marketplace of medieval India mm -hmm. um, 
Hindus eventually outcompeted them as part of the reason why Buddhism disappears from India. Mm. Then what do you think? Um, no, I think I mean I, I like the way teaching it this way, and I do think there's a case to be made for more proximity in the two religions, particularly at the point of inception. And of course, we were talking about Nate McGovern's book, The Mongoose and the Snake. Mm-hmm. Um, and he makes, I think, a convincing case that at least in certain earlier Buddhist texts, there's a category, you know, that, 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 that the Buddhists imagined themselves the Buddha, within the category of Shramana Brahmana, you know, that, that they, were, this was the, they were the best of that category or whatever. Um, but I, I guess, you know, there is at some point then, I think, in the history of, I don't know when it would be, maybe the 5th century is a good time to look at in the, in the, the time that the, the text that the Nadanakata was composed, where there's a re- real deliberate attempt on the part of Buddhists to kind of consolidate their identity in a certain way and to, and to kind of firm up those boundaries with other religious movements. So by that time, certainly there's, uh, you know, a sense that this is separate. But although it, it, is, it is totally striking in the Nadanakata how if you didn't know anything about sort of early Hinduism, it would be hard to read that, right? I mean, a lot of the characters right. are sort of emerging right out of that. And certainly the kind of imagined world is an imagined world in much the same way that the Mahabharata has a kind of imagined old world of like Vedic sacrifice. So does, um, so so do a lot of these, these early Buddhist texts. And this is going to come to the fore next week when you start talking about Buddhist teaching. That's right. Where I, I, I am persuaded of, you know, I would associate it most strongly with Richard Gombrich uh, as a scholar. Uh, his idea that the Buddhist teaching can only be understood as a, almost a kind of satire on some uh, Brahmin ideas, yep. and that these are actually side-splittingly funny texts. That's <laughs> certainly true of the videos that I work with. Yes, yeah, uh, yeah where the where the Buddha is uh, kind of mocking uh, almost. Uh, Hindu ideas or yep. Hindu depictions of, of of deity, for example. Yep, yep. No, I think that's right. You you had a question that you wanted to ask about. So we we looked at the Nidanakata, this life story of the Buddha. Did you have a question you wanted to ask? Yeah. So I, I wondered, you know, listening to the lecture, um, you have this. How plausible is it uh, that a baby who gets out of the <laughs> womb and announces, "I am the chief of the world." <laughs> then suddenly doesn't know about suffering and death uh, and old age. Yeah. Uh, I mean, even without the baby stepping out of the womb, like all babies get sick when they're little. Uh, his mother died. Uh, did they not tell him his mother died? So how did Buddhists deal with this? Uh, these apparent contradictions? But... That, that is interesting. You know, Jonathan Silk, we used to give an article from John, Jonathan Silk where he talks about this. And there's all kinds of interesting explanations that Buddhists give. You know, One is that it's a performance, right? It's a performance for the for teaching humanity. So he, he acts out this life. Uh, I was struck in this time reading the Nidanakata how much that performative element of it, it was kind of absent, really, that there was just the, even the the moment which he goes and sees the four omens, the four sights, it seemed like the Buddha already knew what was going on. Um, and so that was, yeah, it was I was um, kind of struck, actually, this time about the way in which what, what one of the key messages seemed to be that, that what the Buddha is doing is he's just retracing the steps of other Samasam Buddhas, that this is a, a kind of an eternal pattern and that it was all sort of preordained. It takes a lot of the drama out of it, don't you think? Yeah, I, I mean, I think so my question was about how Buddhists cope with the contradiction. And I think that probably the honest answer is that they don't even think about the contradiction uh, in, the, in these elements. Like, I mean, most pious Buddhists who I've met are not conscious of this as, as a contradiction. And, mm. and what I think Silk argues 
is that those two strands in the story, the Buddha has having a sort of supernatural knowledge and supernatural mm. qualities, like... Didn't he notice when he was in school that he had wheels on his feet and nobody mm. else did? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, I guess he didn't go to school. He stayed in the palace. Yeah. But, um, you know, the other kids in the palace. There must have been other kids in the palace. But uh, uh, Silk's point is that the two strands of the story, on the one hand, emphasize the uniqueness of the Buddha. This mm. is a really special person, right, who mm. took a vow 23, no, well, I guess five, just under five kalpas, kappas ago, right, mm. 23 Buddhas ago to become a Buddha. And he's been cultivating those virtues for such a long time that it, this has to show up, right? When he's finally born, his last mm. life, he's got all these virtues built up. That's got to be manifest, and it's manifest in his supernatural birth, his supernatural mm. appearance, and, and this kind of stuff. But on the other hand, the Buddha is teaching a path that we too can follow, right? We can't right. all become Samasambuddhas, right. but we can all follow this path. And that's why the elements that sort of, we're ignorant, right? Yeah. We, we pretend not to see old age. We put it out of our minds, yeah. right? Uh, but uh, it's not that we really don't know about it, but that we prefer not to know about it. Yeah. Um, and so that those elements of the story are saying this is a path... Yes, the Buddha was exceptional, but it's a path that we can all follow. And I think that makes really good sense. And it's probably, even if they aren't conscious of it, that's how most Buddhists read this text. At one time, they're responding to you know, with a kind of devotional attitude yeah. to the Buddha. He was this remarkable person. Uh, and at other times, yeah, but I'm called to be like that too, even yeah. though I'm not that remarkable, but give me enough lifetimes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> there, and there is a lot of emphasis placed on his humanity, that, you know, the sort of limits of, of what he can do based on being human. And a lot of the supernatural stuff that goes on is credited to the deities and things and so mm. there is i think yeah this idea that you could reproduce that path i think is definitely there for sure yeah i think that might be all we have time to cover today will Alrighty. um so she do you want to do a beatbox for us i do not okay i'll do it then <coughs>